hold on to that idea. Yeah, because we're going to go. Yes, exactly. So a lot rests on, on those bearing walls. Okay? And isn't it interesting those bearing walls would be a testimony? And be bearing testimony would go to the witness thing, that there are going to be witnesses that bear the testimony that a lot rests on. Okay? Now, what's the other way that we might use bearing testimony? It's like a opening, but but birthing is like a renewal. It's just like an opening up, right? If you bear something, what do you do? Expose you're going to uncover it. it. If you're bearing something, you're uncovering something that was hidden previously, and then you're going to open it up, and now it's going to be seen. Okay, that's that's also bearing. Now, in what sense do we bear our testimony? Fast on testimony meeting. We'll yeah. Share it. Right. Speak it up. We say it. Right. So I'm going to sit in. I'm going to sit in my pew very quietly, and then my heart start to pound because the adrenaline's hitting because I know I'm supposed to be up there, and then it pounds enough, and we go. Okay, I'm going to have to go up. So you go up and you sit, and everybody's looking at you. <laughs> and then you're going to get up and actually then unfurl, unbury your testimony that lived while you were sitting in the pew. But you had to then step forward and open it up to everybody else. Okay? It's recording. Yeah. In the scriptures it says, and he will make bare his arm. Yeah. Now we thought, okay, so what does that really mean? The, to, to make bare his holy arm? Okay, what would be another word for bare then? To reveal, right? So if he's going to make bare his holy arm, he's going to be, it, it, he's, going, he's revealing something that was already there. It's just that was not seen. So now I'm opening it up, and now you see what was hidden before. To unveil. So it's to unveil. Yeah. So I don't know, we always think about the fact that I'm going to bear my testimony. I'm going to unveil something that has been living in there. But what happens, by the way, when we actually unveil it? That's kind of a very vulnerable stage. When you are humble and your heart is open, you're very vulnerable and you are sharing your soul. And that's really powerful. And it can be a little disconcerting sometimes. To kind of open up deep conviction. and mm -hmm. kind of, You have to put your deepest, most sacred beliefs kind of out there. Mm -hmm. And hopefully people will receive them with open hearts and minds. Yeah, and so you're being careful about who you unfurl, unveil, mm -hmm. who you bear that testimony to. That is the pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. Kind of, who do you share this with? Yeah. You know, uh, when we make covenants, there's a sign associated with them, and uh, and part of our covenant making process is we go to church. Uh, our uh, Sabbath day worship is a sign. Okay. And, and it's a sign like the signs that we learn in the temple. But uh, also, bearing our testimony is a sign also. A sign of what? It's a sign of our covenant of our, of, with God. Well, and, and, and specifically in that, in that case, what would the covenant be? I think you're right. That you would bear witness, oh, right? Yes, right. That's right. So I made a covenant that I will bear witness and not leave it veiled. I make a covenant that I be, will be willing at the right time in the right place that I will unveil that so I will then bear my testimony so that I can then bear my testimony. <laughs> you know, I can then carry this forward as I hand this off to other people. Okay? Um, I, so, so how big is the responsibility that we unveil our testimony? Big as we are. Yeah, it's who we are, right? Okay. Now, so let's get to part of the, as, as Joseph and Oliver are translating through the Book of Mormon, they start running on these little verses that suggest that there might be other witnesses. I mean, the biggest secret 
in among the, the Whitmer family and now the extended Whitmer family. We talked last week this was like a this was like a rose opening up and people are starting to gather and they're showing up and they're having little impromptu meetings and and as Joseph is completing the manuscript he's, le- he's letting people the some of the family there read through the manuscript and they're getting excited about that there's something happening here and people like David and Peter and 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 Martin Harris and Oliver they're getting personal in God's first person descript revelations to them there's a thing happening here and there there's now some excitement going on but the biggest secret among all of this going on is the plates who's seen the plates Joseph has and now there's one other in in June of, of 1829 Mary Whitmer and I, I'm, I don't know whether she was able to keep that a secret from her family so can you imagine imagine David Whitmer going wow I'd really like to see the plates and, and Mary going they're pretty cool <laughs> 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 too bad you missed out on that one <coughs> I did, I did manage to bring back a nice cold, so I apologize for that. So here in, in, in DNC 5, uh, we get this. In addition to your testimony, Joseph, the testimony of, the, of three of my servants, whom I shall call and ordain, unto, the, unto whom I will show these things, and they shall go forth with my words that are given through you. Now, that then opens up the speculation. Who are the three? And specifically he said these are the three who have assisted in the work. So who would they start to guess might be the three? Oliver, Oliver Cowdery. That makes perfect sense, right? Martin Harris. Why? Okay, we're going to talk about Martin Harris a lot in just a second. Okay, And the third... The family's been helping a lot, but primarily getting them to Fayette and taking care of them and making sure that they are they are safe has been David Whitmer. So there, so these three guys start talking to each other, and Mother Smith says they begin to. She uses the word tease. They they begin to tease Joseph. Let us be the three. Let us be the three. We want to we want to see the plates. We want to see the plates. Ever been, on, ever, ever been on a trip with teenagers? <laughs> long, long car drive. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we yet? We, we want. Yes, me. I get to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to see the plates. I mean, that's the big secret. They, everybody sees the plates under the cover. There's no secret that the plates are there in the house. Sometimes they're in the trunk. Sometimes he's having to hide them based on who may be coming by. Sometimes, as they're finishing up this translation, they're simply under a covering in the middle of the table. That is the biggest secret in the house. Who's going to get to see the plates? All right. So... And they, these three, shall go forth with my words that are given through you. So they get a sense that there are going to be additional witnesses. Now, let's talk about why that is. Uh, let's see, no, let me go back here. Let's go over to uh, DNC 17 for a sec. Now, little, little side note on this. This is one of those fun little moments for me that I thought you might find kind of amusing. Um, the other night, uh, as we'd finished kind of a long day, um, I went outside our hotel and uh, grabbed a little... We, we were right on the, uh, on the shore of the uh, Red Sea. And I just kind of found a nice little comfortable place to sit. I, th- I was thinking about this class and I, I started, I wanted to go back and read through some of the material for this. Okay, this is what I read. This is where I started. As soon as I opened my iPad, I saw this. Behold, I say unto you that you must rely upon my word, which if you do with full purpose of heart, you shall have a view of the plates and also of the breastplate 
and the sword of Laban and the Urim and Thummim, which were given to the brother of Jared on the mount when he talked to the Lord face to face, and the miraculous directors, which were given to Lehi while in the wilderness, where? On the borders of the Red Sea. Okay. Yeah, well. One of the things that we realized um, the, uh, last week as we were, as we were driving, <coughs> we drove for two hours down from uh, Jerusalem down to Masada, down past the, the Dead Sea, and it just drove and drove and drove and drove. We finally got there, and then we drive for another two hours to get down to the Red Sea. Now we're four hours out, and just as we're getting to the Red Sea, we recognize, and, and as pointed out to us, that it's at this point that Father Lehi sends the boys back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine if, if, if the family of Lehi leaves Dallas and they're going down to the sea and they get to Houston and then Father Lehi says, go back to Dallas and get the plates. Can you see why there might be some groaning? And they couldn't take a taxi. Yeah, there's no Uber at that point. Walk after walk after walk. Oh, well, and this is so desolate, and and you know, and the Dead Sea is not, you know, not a great place to try and get your water source from. And not only that, yeah, I'm going to send you back. So you're going to go from Dallas to Houston and back on camels. And believe me, that is no sweet ride either. I'm still sore. <laughs> but then they're going to get all the way back down to Houston. He's going to go, now go back and get the ladies. So now they're going to travel another four hours of driving, probably 200 miles or so, back again. The, the distances are amazingly large. But it's in this place where he said that the Liahona, when they finally get ready to leave the, the Spice Trail and they're going to head off, they go now three days into the wilderness and that's when he's going to have the Valley of Lemuel um, or Laman and that's where they're going to get the Liahona. As I'm reading this first, that he got the he got the uh, the Liahona, the directors in the borders by the Red Sea as I'm reading, I look up, and there it is. <laughs> the, mountains, the mountains in the distance are where Lehi got the Liahona. This is the, this is the head of the Red Sea right there. That's where he got it. Okay? What are the chances of something like that? And I thought, how poignant is that? So, anyway. Okay, so... <coughs> Here's what you're going to... They, they just wanted to see... We, we, sometimes we talk about the God of more. And he always gives us more than... What did they really want to see? The plates. What is the Lord going to show them? Look at the list. Yeah. Look at the list. The plates. But wait, there's more. The breastplate. And, and if you order now, you also get the sword of Laban and the director of the Urim and Thumb and, you know, the miraculous directors given to Lehi while in the wilderness. Okay? Now, I got, I got looking at all of these and what do all these things have in common? The plates, the breastplate, the sword of Laban, the Urim and Thummim, also known as the interpreters, and the directors. All in buried on Cumorah. Uh, the Liahona wasn't. She, she says they were all bored, buried in Cumorah. Some of these weren't, the, the, at least contained in the box. <coughs> if there's metal on the Urim and Thummim, then they're all moved. Uh, I'll have some metal, yeah. You all bear witness the truthfulness of the book. In what way? That reality, this is real. Yes. And, not only, and, and how did they receive every one of these items? How, how were every one of these items received? Miraculously. Miraculously. 
there is a miracle. This is a there is there is kind of a, a an amazing kind of magical sense to each one of these. Remember that Joseph is, is going to say. Uh, we talked about it last week at the conference in Orange, where they're saying to him. Um, how did you translate the, the Book of Mormon? And he says, by the gift and power of God. And I'll leave it at that. Okay? Every one of these items, by the gift and power of God, came outside the hands of... Uh, did, even the sword of Laban. Did, did, did uh, Nephi get some help? Yes. Angel there. Okay? Miraculous directors just show up. Okay? Laban and Lemuel, by the way, thought that Nephi had made them, made it and just stuck it outside the tent. <laughs> but every, every one of these came miraculously that there is a gift among themselves a power beyond themselves that provides these items that enable us to do what? Bear witness. And, and I love the idea by the way of the interpreters and the directors then getting understanding and getting direction about where we're supposed to go. We could do a whole lesson on that one, which we won't. Okay? Now, here, here is the bearing up that is required of these witnesses. And after you have obtained faith and have seen them with your eyes. Okay, stop. Brother Crandall, you're, you're a scientist. How's, how's the scientific method work? This the opposite of that? Very much so. <laughs> you, know, if you, you first have a hypothesis and then you go out and test the hypothesis to see whether you can prove your hypothesis wrong. Yeah. I have some idea that I'm going to test it and I have to prove that. And everything that we do, we are questioning. That, that you know, whether somebody's speaking, you are questioning, you're thinking, you know, what are they presenting that's wrong? So that you can say that they're not correctly interpreted. Yeah. It really struggles when it comes to church things to separate the two. That's true. And in fact, if you're going to submit then, a, let's say you put it all in, you came up with a, a study and the research and the conclusions, and then you're going to publish it in a, in a journal, now you're going to have it peer-reviewed. Three. Yeah. Three individuals are going to look through it and see if you missed something. Okay, because now we know for sure, we know to the best, you know, to a, you know, one, one percent or five percent possibility. Five percent error. Yeah. And so to reverse this a little bit and say, okay, now, after you, it, it, verse two, it is by your faith you shall obtain a view of them. Three, and after you have obtained faith and have seen, your, seen them with your eyes, <laughs> just opposite. Then what? Yeah, now we're supposed to testify. Now, it's interesting to me, if I were to ask how many of, how many have uh, been to the, one of the following places? Um, Holy Land, Palmyra, Nauvoo, Kirtland, okay, big, big raise of hands, okay, look, look, yeah, yeah, look around, Martin's Cove, okay, look around, why do we do this, why do we spend time and treasure to go to historical places, remember. to remember, why, present, when much is given, much is required, if you receive the test, much is how much to share, sure, yeah, yeah. And and so we go we go to places where events have happened. Now I have to yeah. Let's go to learn. I, I go to learn because I want to know more and it just opens my eyes when I'm there and and, and well, also yeah, and it validates, right? It validates what? Sure. By by how? It actually existed. It's it was there. This is where they said it happened. 
The Holy Spirit. But does it, that, what does the Spirit do? He hits us. Oh. It's really hard. Yes. It's amazing and wonderful. I mean, there have certainly been times when I have, when I've walked into the, uh, the upstairs room at Carthy's jail and and it was like uh, a July afternoon and it's cattle call time and they're like 50 people you got five minutes in the in the room you know and there's a two-year-old lying all over the floor and we're gonna talk we're gonna play a recording now okay and there's another group coming from downstairs they're gonna be up here in a second so you got two minutes to run over by the window and get a picture okay yeah <laughs> okay, and then there are times that I have been in that upper room, like on a snowy afternoon with my son in February when we were the only ones in the room for a long time, and you just sit and you listen, and you go, sacred blood was shed here. It reaffirms who I am. I feel like I have a little bit of ownership with those places. I'm a, I've joined the church, even though I don't have any ancestors that were a part of any of that. Right. I feel like it reaffirms what I believe and that uh, I have a right to be there. It's important for me to see that. <coughs> it's part of my religious history. So I'm joining with other, it's part of my history, it's part of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost said uh, uh, historical church, how many have been to historical church sites like Nauvoo, Kirtland, Capernaum? Because <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it's like, okay, it's part of our church. Yeah. Why? How? Because you can see how a six foot tall man would not fit physically in a five foot six room and how difficult that would be. You can wrap your head around some of the details and understand the struggle that people go through and understand how it was harder than you first thought when you were like five and you were like, yeah, right. So some of the details begin to fall into place for you. Absolutely. And you make connections you've never made before. And you're able to experience things on a new level because you have a deeper understanding. Sure. Okay. I think it gives you a chance to have the Holy Ghost testify of those things. And it carves it on your heart. There you go. And it becomes a part of your DNA. Sure, absolutely. I, I be, that's why I've always believed that it's really kind of incumbent upon us to, to get our kids and grandkids and everything and have them stand on holy ground because there is a difference when you stand where it happened. And you're going to have faith that seen with your eyes, seen with your spiritual eyes. And you go... Yes. Yes. It's true. It happened. You know, with me and, and our trip this time, it planted in my heart the desire to learn more. To go back to some of the remembering. It's, it's like if I'm reminded of this, I want to find out more about what, what happened here or there. Yeah. So there, it actually, if we, if we visit those places, uh, like whenever I've gone to, to Palmyra and I just kind of walk around the sacred grove and then I come out of there, I'm, and you, you can start talking about the first vision, I'm interested. There's a connection there for me, and I, want, I love that. We want to know more about what happened there. Okay, yeah? Okay? Well, there's just such a difference. Um, what we experience in our physical bodies. Yes. You know, we are... Spiritual beings in a physical body. Sure. They're Yeah, she's talking about having worked with, with trauma victims, and I have as well, where the body physically remembers stuff. It holds on to tra- trauma from the, from the past. And sometimes we have to have a kind of a cleansing of all of that. But, but I, I think there is that sense here that, that is, if you're going to, you're going to have to testify uh, of, of what you know. Yeah. For me, it makes it real to me. When I, we went to Adam and Yeah, mm-hmm. 
standing there, I thought, this is where Adam and Eve. Yes. Their altar. I mean, I don't know if it's right there, but that's just that sense. That's where they built an altar. This is where Adam talked to his all this posterity. It's just like. Yes. It's like, wow. Yeah. Now, there's a difference sometimes when I think we go to places and we go, we have been told this, and that's a kind of a wow. And then there are other times when we go to a place and we go, and you get that, that spiritual witness that starts to build up in you and you go, yeah. And then comes the responsibility, what we do with that. That's, that's the tough part. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, as you're discussing all this, how much similarity there is to like a court of law. Yeah. Judge sitting there, he may, he may have been 200 miles from where all this happened. Witnesses are called, they testify of things. They're sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing about Right. And then you have exhibits brought in. I mean, so when we, when we speak to people, I mean, you can see why these testators, they already had faith, but additional exhibits, so you're seeing things. Increase that ability. Yes. So let's. I want. I want to just touch on this for a second. I don't want to make this too deep, but um, isn't it interesting that we receive a witness of the Spirit, and the Spirit has testified to us that something is true, but the Lord requires witnesses. The Lord requires has the law of witnesses. Why must we have people witness a baptism? Why must we have people witness a sealing? Why? Right? So you can do it openly. Right. Uh huh. If you get baptized in secret, who knows that you and God? Yeah, but the, but God would know if if I got baptized in secret, God would know if the if the Spirit bore witness to me that I did the right thing, then I, it happened, right? Why is why are we needing public witnesses if it's really something between God and I? To be part of a public kind of thing, okay? To bear witness of that event, it's sacred. That if if called upon, you could bear witness that this happened. And isn't it interesting that the Lord always wants additional witnesses that could stand up and say that such and such happened? Because now the person being baptized has made a commitment to do something. To who? To God. And? And to the people around. Him. If we're if we're going to do it, I I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna take this oath in the presence of who? God, angels, angels and Witness. witnesses. So there are other people standing in here on both sides of the veil who are going to test, could step up and say, yes, I was there. Yeah. The statement we hear on the reading on the wearing of the garment is an outward expression yeah, I like that. And it's a kind of silent witness that is going on that says, I've made covenants and I'm not going to break them. Is it a commandment? That we have witnesses because in the mouth of two or three witnesses are. Well, the, the, there's no question that, that, that it's, a, it's a commandment. Is it a commandment? Yeah. And he's, this is, that's why I say this is the way that the Lord, this is his divine pattern, <laughs> that there will be witnesses. Mm -hmm. When I do my work, there are witnesses, and I will have people that can stand up and bear testimony. Those witnesses are as much for our sake as we make covenants. Why? Why? That's a great point. Our way out of it. We, can't. <laughs> we can't say that I never, I never, did that. I never knew you. Yeah, right. Say, or, or if we're going to say, I did know you, and he's going, no, you really didn't. Your, your works witness that you didn't know me. Yeah, right. It's just like our garments. They're a sign and a token, a witness to us. That we made covenants. Mm -hmm. Right. We remember it every day. Okay. Yeah. And it's more than just a witness, because many of these require priesthood ordination. So it's more than just having somebody physically there and say, yes, I was there, I saw it. Obviously, there's the part of the ordinance. Yes. I don't know why. It's all, it was always interesting for me on the high council. We were always shuttling around. Did, was so-and-so, okay, state president authorized so-and-so to be ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay, yeah. Did they get back? Yeah, it happened. Who ordained them? Who else was there? Then we need to make sure that that gets recorded. 
So if there's ever a question that that ordination took place, we have it recorded in a place that we will know that it occurred. Yeah. Wow. He was blind by the time my sister got married. And he could not witness that it was her versus me. Wow. To blind to make that a true and solid witness. And therefore, I cannot do it. I would love to, but I cannot. Because I cannot witness that it is you, but I yeah. your spouse. If you get another five foot four blonde lady in here <laughs> who sounds much like you. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Because I'm also going to die. Yeah. Now look at this though. There's also another case in, in this case. <coughs> okay, so he's about to make a promise. There are going to be three guys that are going to receive this promise. And, and so he, here comes this revelation, and it's given to Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris. You're going to see them with your eyes. You're going to testify of them by the power of God. And this shall ye do that what? In this case, the witnesses are critical to one additional purpose. That my servant Joseph shall not be destroyed. You start to get this imminent sense that if, he does, if we don't have other witnesses here, that the powers of darkness are really starting to stir up, that, that what, what may, hit, may be coming is almost insurmountable. Yeah? It, it, it strengthens us to have witnesses because other people are there to validate what happened actually happened and it helps us with our commitment. Yeah, right. Not to be we, all, we all have, we all doubt, we all falter. Yeah. All right. That, uh, that I may bring about my righteous purposes unto the children of men. Now, if you look at the date on this, this is June 1829. Is the Book of Mormon done yet? No. It'll be done the first week of July. So the purposes are already in place. And we know that somewhere in June, um, he's gonna, they're, they're continuing to tease to use uh, Mother Smith's words, I would call pester. Mm -hmm. And finally he says, all right, we're going to do it. And, and he grabs Martin, and he grabs Oliver, and he says, where's David? He's out plowing. So they go walking out across the field. If you've been to the Peter Whitmer farm, which is the area right out and back there, they grabbed David, he's plowing. Come on, we're gonna go see the, pl we're gonna try and go see a, the, a view of the plates. Great. <laughs> You know, stops right in the middle of the furrow, and off they go into the woods. Um, now, they're going to go ahead and, and pray several times, and we know this story, I think, fairly well. What happens? Nothing happens. Each one, each one takes their turn praying, nothing happened, then what? Martin leaves. Martin goes, it's me. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about Martin a little bit more in just a second. Martin is so flawed. You just have to love Martin on so many levels. This is just this kind soul who's got some very serious flaws. That, and the Lord's using him, which I think is tremendous. Okay, But Martin, and I, so I love Martin's even willingness to go, okay, it's me. I've, I've got the problem here. I will go off and pray over here. So the three of them are going to go ahead and do it. And... Now comes the vision, and here's the plates, and they see, they hear a voice, they see an angel, they see a table, and all, here's all of, these, all of these elements of all of this that they're able to witness and testify to, that they see it, okay? After that occurs and it closes down, then Joseph will go find Martin, he's sweating it out over in the woods, okay? Same thing happens. He now is able to pray, get the answer, and he has the same experience. Okay? Now, that's, that's quite a moment for these guys. Okay? I, I, love, I love that experience. Yeah? And a, and a moment for Joseph to offload his bearing. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll show you that in a, in a second. Okay? Okay? 
<coughs> now, by the way, then, uh, now they're going to be, this is outside the, the Whitmer farm. Uh, when Joseph travels back up to um, Palmyra, uh, he, he, we don't really have a record of how he, how he chose the eight or, or why, but now he's going to, we, we have much less information about the eight witnesses than we do the three. Okay, But those eight he will gather and they will go where? To see the plates. Out into the sacred grove where he had his first vision. And Joseph will show them the plates. There's no angel, there's no voice. And there's just the plates. There's no uh, sort of Laban or the directors or any of that. Okay. Now, why would the Lord do that? Seems odd, doesn't it? It's a divine manifestation that the three received. Yes. But an ordinary healing, and they, because critics would, if they refute, refute the divine, how do you explain the ordinary? That's right. And if you're going to refute the ordinary, how do you refute the divine? So by having those two experiences, because one of the things that critics like to attack, or try to attack, and to me it's the, it's the weakness of all attacks, is the testimony of the witnesses. It's just silly to me. Because uh, there is an additional thing. Of the three, how many, how many will leave the church, or at least be apostate for a while? All three. Well, how many will come back into the church? Two of the three. Uh, the one who stays outside the church, David Whitmer, will give uh, somewhere between 52 and 53 uh, interviews to newspaper people over the course of his life in Missouri. Over and over and over. And, and a matter of just a few weeks before he dies, there's a, a report circulating out there that, that David Whitmer had again refuted his testimony of the angel and the plates. And he, and he takes out an ad in the paper. And says, be it known, I saw what I saw. It was there. It was real. And then he has it inscribed on his tombstone. Well, that's pretty good. Okay, he's going to make sure that people really know that he saw what he saw. Okay, that's a good question. Why did David Whitmer not come back? Um, <coughs> do we know? Do you know when, when we lose these guys, Oliver and David? This comes, uh, and this is kind of jumping ahead probably at the rate we're going, probably about a year. <laughs> that jumps us ahead to far west. And David and Oliver and W.W. Phelps uh, are, are acting as the presidency of the church in far west. Uh, they receive money from the southern states uh, to help take care of the saints that are suffering in Missouri. Uh, those guys we, we think may have kind of been uh, less than uh, discreet about the way that they used the money. They kind of purchased some land with their names on it and then we're going to sell it back to members and everything. And, and the infamous Danites uh, in Missouri rise up and they, and they write a and they start putting on the door of David, Oliver, and W.W. W. Phelps these, these notes that says uh, if you don't leave tonight, you're going to die. And they leave. Uh, they leave far west. They go down to Richmond. Uh, they are they are signatories on a paper to um, Governor Boggs that institutes the extermination order. So there were a lot of hard feelings that came out of of that. And W. W. Phelps is the first one to really come back quickly, as as we know. Okay. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you have people close to Joseph Smith who, who drop out of church or get excommunicated. Yes. Some of the uh, eight witnesses did. And yet none of them ever recounted their testimony. Isn't that amazing? And I think that in itself is a strength. I think, as, I'm with you, I think the strongest testimony of the, of the witnesses is the fact that they all left the church without recanting their testimonies. Because if you had a, a moment, especially if you're in Missouri and the Danites are threatening to hurt you, wouldn't that be the moment to go, oh, by the way, he made it up, he just fooled us. 
You could, you could have undermined Joseph and that work so fast by just saying, no, we made it up. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's any um, coincidence that the three witnesses and the eight witnesses, they were approved by the Lord. Sure. And he knew, what to do. maybe they had all kinds of flaws, but push come to shove, they told the truth. They did tell, yeah, right. It was, it was very important for the church to have, have them not recant their testimony. Yeah, because even one of them would have begun to, and, and, we, and so of these, now of the eight, how many of those leave the church? About half. Okay. Um, so yeah, this becomes this becomes uh, pretty important. Now, I want I want to I want I want to go one step farther on this uh, with these with these witnesses because I think they become so critical to the work. Remember, we're right at the moment, and this is this is June. The Book of Mormon isn't completed yet. Uh, this thing is starting to unfold. It's starting to open up. Okay, uh, and then we get uh, section eighteen. Now, Oliver, I give unto you these words. 18 is going to be to Oliver and 19 is going to be to Martin Harris. And we'll, we'll talk about those and probably be done. I have manifested unto you by my spirit many things. The things which you have written are true. Therefore, you know that they are true. Um, and if you know that they are true, I give unto you a commandment that you rely upon the things which are written. <coughs> now, in the Book of Mormon... If you want to know what, uh, from a, we, we talked last time that, that I believe that the Book of Mormon has two main purposes in it. If you want to talk about the two main purposes, it's in, it's in Moroni 10, 3, where he says, the, this, is, this is written to show unto the world that what? The great mercy that the Lord has had unto the children of men from the time of Adam to the time you shall receive the, these things. I think that's number one. Right behind it is what you find in the title page. And it says the reason we have the Book of Mormon is to show unto the, the remnant of the house of Israel that, they are no long, that they're not going to be cast out and that he will fulfill his promises. In, in other words, you worship a God of promises. So the, so the Book of Mormon shows a God who is merciful and he shows you a God who fulfills his promises. Now, there's another purpose for this fledgling organization that's starting to rise up for the Book of Mormon. And that is that it's a little bit of a primer. And he's going to say to Oliver, and again, this is also June, I think, right? Uh, yep, June, 1829. I like to keep the dates in mind because it's critical that we get the, the historical context on this. For in, the, for, for in them, the writings of the Book of Mormon, all things written concerning three things. First of all, what? First of all, my church. Then, the foundation, right? Or my gospel. Foundation of my gospel. And number three, my rock. Wherefore, um, if you shall build up my church upon the foundation of my gospel and my rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Okay? Um, where's, my, uh, where's my Israel gang? Anybody, uh, anybody been to Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi this last week? Okay, come on, people. Okay? Brother Crandall, what, um, what did we find at uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea Philippi. Is that the one that had the, um, the, uh, the water? Yes. Yes. And, and, and the ancient um, Greek shrines that would be up against that? Yeah, I'm not sure. Because remember, uh, the Savior takes the, the brethren over to Caesarea Philippi and, and to give this sermon. This is, my, this is my, my rock. Who do men say that I am? Well, we, Peter says you're... The Christ. And then he says, "I'm not sure what you're asking for, but I, what was impressed upon me for that is that, as opposed to other places where there's dirt and things change, this is stone. Yes. And this happened there. There. That's going to be hard there. Yes. We weren't quite so sure whether it really happened. 
Yeah, that we know for sure. Jesus was right here. Because he takes the apostles, and, and they just had done kind of the, the feeding of the 5,000 on the one side, over on the Capernaum side. They sail across the Sea of Galilee. They get to the other side. And then they're standing, and they are these ancient, and I, and I wish I had time to, had got pictures up for you. But these Greek uh, shrines up against the the rock, but there was a major rock, and there's and there's water flowing out of the rock, and and they're standing there looking at it, and he says to the apostles, "Who do men say that I am?" Well, I don't know. Some say that you're this, and some say you're Isaiah or Jeremiah. Who do you say I am? And he said, and Peter stands up and says, "Thou art the Christ." Okay. And he says, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood haven't revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven, uh, and it's upon this rock that I will build my church, right? Um, now, as we're looking at that, though, this rock in the, there at uh, Caesarea Philippi harkens uh, back to another event that happened under Moses. They're wandering around in the wilderness, uh, and they're, they're dying of thirst, and, and they said, we need water, and what does Moses do? Staff. He's going to hit it with a staff, and water's going to come flowing out of that rock. Okay? So out of a rock comes living water. Okay? Now, we tend to say, uh, if you shall build, verse 5, if you shall build my church upon the foundation of the gospel, uh, upon my ch- if you build up my church upon the foundation of the gospel, and then there's a cornerstone, and it's the rock. And, we ha- and sometimes we're pretty quick in the church to say, well, it's the rock of... Peter. Revelation, right? Can I suggest that it's more than that? Because it certainly works kind of as the rock of Revelation. But what is really the rock from which, from which the water flows out? Christ. 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 Christ is the rock. Okay? Think about um, in the same way that the tree of life in Lehi's dream, it, there's the tree and it's the fruit. Uh, think about the Garden of Eden. It's the headwaters and the water is flowing out. Uh, he's going to talk about the fact that uh, if you build up my church upon the foundation of my gospel and upon me, make sure it's on me, okay? The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Now, again, this is just before the book is about to be completed. So now the Lord is already moving it to the next step. Here we go. And what's, going to cut, what's the next step here in this process? Well, um, Oliver, verse 8, Marvel not that I have called him to mine purposes. His name is Joseph. He shall be blessed unto eternal life. Nine. Now here comes a, here comes a commandment. And now, Oliver Cowdery, I speak unto you, and also David Whitmer. Martin Harris, we're working with. (laughs) I speak unto you, and also David Whitmer, by way of commandment, for I command all men everywhere to repent, and I speak unto you, even as who? Even as Paul. You're going to get a Pauline uh, uh, covenant, a Pauline promise, a uh, a commandment. For you are called even to the same calling with which he was called. Remember, the worth of souls is great. Okay? Uh, The Lord Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh. Uh, How great is his joy. Now, what's going to happen here? Um, uh, Okay. I'm not fighting. Okay. Anyway, their commitment is going to be. Wherefore, all men must take upon them the name uh, of given by the Father. Wherefore, if they know not the name by which they are called, they cannot have a place in the kingdom of Father. It's actually uh, intimating what will come in the temple. I don't think they would have completely understood this yet. But even twelve, 
Verse 27. And the twelve shall be my disciples, and they shall take upon them my name. And the twelve are they who shall desire to take upon them my name with full purpose. Uh, who's supposed to come up with the twelve? Three witnesses. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Joseph isn't calling the twelve. The, 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 this, is a, this is an assignment given to these three brethren. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, 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 why give it to the witnesses and not Joseph? They also were apostles. And they were ordained apostles. And so... Uh, In a sense, they're kind of a first presidency kind of thing. Okay. Now, it takes them a little while to get to this point. Okay, but now you're starting, again, Book of Mormon isn't quite finished yet, and they're already putting the, the organization is beginning to be in place. And there's going to be a church, it's going to be an organization, there's going to be 12, it's going to be built on the Savior. Here we go. And they got pretty excited, and by, by July of 1829, they're pretty sure that the church is ready to get started. And the Lord is going to say, cool it, <laughs> wait, we've got to get the Book of Mormon published. Now, so now we roll into, <coughs> into August. There's one small problem with getting the book published. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about this uh, next week, but I want to kind of want to start laying the groundwork. Okay? Um, there are two publishers in, in Palmyra. Uh, one is, is primarily publishing an uh, anti-Masonic uh, rag that he's, he's uh, disseminating, and he's kind of a small-time operation. Uh, another one is uh, E.D. Grandin. E.B. Grandin. He is 23. He's just getting started. Uh, he's already heard about Joseph and the gold plates, and he thinks it's the dumbest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> cannot believe that somebody would be dumb enough, especially he knows the printing business a little bit. He's apprenticed, and even though he's young, he's been apprenticing for years. Okay. Uh, how many been to the Grandin store? Yeah, so this will give you some idea. Okay. So Grandin, when he first hears about this, thinks this is the dumbest thing he's ever heard. And he actually publishes uh, a little uh, blurb in his newspaper saying, Apparently Joseph out there thinking he's going to publish the Gold Bible. We think it's kind of dumb. Okay, Martin Harris is is working actually up in Palmyra trying to find a publisher. Um, so th the problem here is that um, we're 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 finishing in July. Now we're into August. It's now ready. It's done. We need a publisher. They go to the two publishers in in. Uh, Palmyra, neither one of them will do it. So then they go into Rochester and they actually are able to find one publisher in Rochester that will take the book. Um, but before, but Joseph just looks at the logistics of it. And I've got to get from Palmyra all the way out to Rochester and back. And this is going to be a long, arduous task. Um, let's go back and try E.B. Grandin one last time. So they go back to Grandin, and, and he says, okay, it's going to cost uh, $3,000. And I want it up front. Because I don't think it will sell. Now, ostensibly, what he's saying is, normally I know when, when in the publishing business, when you publish a book, um, the publisher publishes the book and then he takes about 15% of the profits and he gets paid off over time. Because I think this book is, is rubbish and silly. Uh, I'm going to have to have the 3000 up front. To do, because, hey, I've got to go out and I've got to buy out. This is a big project. I, I'm gonna have to, this is going to occupy my shop for the next six months. I'm going to have to buy all the metal stuff. And, and uh, it just, it's going to take me over. I'm going to have to hire a bunch of people for the binding and all that kind of stuff. I need three grand up front. Okay? So, now they go back to Martin, Martin Harris. <laughs> and Martin Harris is struggling again. Remember that uh, Mama Harris in May separated out the, the property, so she got her part. But the remaining acreage, it's about 5,000 acres, is what he's after. 
And Grandin says, if you will just deed over your acreage, I'll get started here. Because he, he will then sell it to investors, and that's how he'll come up with the money, the, the cash money, to go ahead and start publishing the Book of Mormon. Martin Harris is, is doing the waffling thing again. now Because Martin starts asking people in town, he starts saying, if the Book of Mormon comes out, would you buy it? <laughs> if there's a Book of Mormon, would you buy it? And what he starts hearing is, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> So this is the moment that we get when Martin Harris is, runs into Joseph Knight and Joseph in a, in a wagon and he comes running up to, the, to Joseph and he says, the books will not sell. This is late July or early August. The books will not sell. They won't sell. And Joseph says, I think they'll sell. And then he says, I need a revelation. You better, I need it. The only way I'm going to deed this over is if I get a revelation. I got to have the revelation. It's almost like I'm going to hold a gun to your head. No Book of Mormon unless I get a revelation. Now, by the way, so if, that, if you're in that circumstance and you're the Lord and, and there's kind of this ultimatum going on, I think if, I think if it's me... <laughs> And I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm not very gracious with this one. <laughs> Come on. You just saw the plates. You know, you've done everything to this point. You're waffling like crazy. And what Martin Harris... Does, does Martin Harris get that revelation? He does. And it's section 19. It's section 19. Out of that ultimatum comes this. I am Alpha and Omega, Christ the Lord, even I am He, the beginning and the end, the Redeemer of the world. And then we're going to get the only first person account of the atonement that we have in all of Scripture. And I've said, and as I've said in other occasions, this magnificent revelation comes on Martin's worst day. <laughs> that sometimes the Lord is being willing to be gracious enough to give a magnificent revelation and open a key to knowledge that opens up so much of the Book of Mormon understanding. Because it's in section 19, he says, I'm going to give you a key. Every man must suffer, repent or suffer, for I am endless. Uh, eight, uh, eight, therefore I explain unto you this mystery. Uh, ten, the mystery of godliness. Then he's going to say eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. And then as he says in ten, for endless is my name. So is endless, endless. Not an endless is his name. And it is a key. It's a that uh, just that one little piece. How much? How much of the scriptures would that unlock for so many of the creedal Christians, the Chris, the Christianity of the creeds? If they understood that one line, "For endless is my name," that would have made a big difference. By the way, for the people of King Benjamin's day, because <laughs> endless meant endless to them. That's amazing, and this is beautiful. Beautiful um, verse, uh, as as we've talked about before, and we get that pause in verse ten, or, or in um, I call it the power of the hyphen. Eighteen, which suffered myself, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and bleed every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit. And would that I might drink the bitter cup and shrink, and then he stops. He can't even finish it. It's kind of what we felt in the garden the other day. Nevertheless, glory be the Father. He kind of changes the, changes the topic. And I partook. Now, this, this little key, this power that unlocks so much, comes on the heels of Martin, who's really struggling. Okay? Now, Just to give you an idea how Martin is struggling. <laughs> Learn of me, listen to my words, walk in the meekness of my spirit. I am Jesus Christ. Again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. <laughs> Oops. 
Lord, nor seek thy neighbor's life. <laughs> don't know what that means. We don't have any history behind that one. Okay? But again I command thee <coughs> that thou shalt not covet thine own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth and the Word of God. Okay? Now, anybody have uh, the old-fashioned paper scriptures? <laughs> anybody bring it? Anybody got them here today? Okay. All right. I want you to, for those of you who got it here, I want you to look and see, go to the top of section 19. And see if you can tell me the date according to your paper scriptures when it says this was given. March 1830. Yeah, there we go. So, say it again. March 18. March 1830. Okay. Now, this one now says that this was given uh, likely in the summer of 1820, 1829. This is one of the things that came out of the Joseph Smith Paper Project. An understanding that this had been put nine months down the road, this was actually given in August of 1829 because this is the thing that actually, he, the, this revelation where he says to him, uh, impart, thou shalt not covet thy property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth and the Word of God. This was the revelation that finally convinced Martin to go ahead and deed his property over to E.B. E. Grandin. And the Book of Mormon printing begins. Okay. All right. Um, oh, yes. 34. Impart a portion of thy property. He did. Even a part of thy lands and, and all. Save the support of thy family. Uh, pay the debt which thou hast contracted with the printer. Release thyself from bondage. Then I thought this was interesting. I'm not quite sure what to, to do with this one. Leave thy house and home, except when thou shalt desire to see thy family. I think there's enough contention going on there that it's probably making things worse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, well, Joseph Smith received that revelation, correct? Yeah. Okay, do you think that Martin Harris was present and he might have heard that revelation? Um, it's I, I, it, yeah I do uh, because what happens is Martin well no I take it back he didn't he wasn't present for it but he got it shortly after that because they will all travel back to um, the house in Palmyra uh, Martin will spend the night worrying and fretting over this then Martin will go home uh, Joseph will then dictate this to I believe Oliver Cowdery the next morning after Martin leaves. So then they're going to then take it on to him, him later on. So that he, so he was, no, he wasn't there to actually hear it. Okay. All right. So, so comments on all this. I just think that there, you know, I'm, I'm holding off a little bit because I, I really want to to jump in next week uh, to uh, kind of the the printing process and we'll kind of roll forward with that because I think there's a lot that comes and and some of the changes that we have found between the the uh, original manuscript, the printer's manuscript, uh, and then what made it into the Book of Mormon because there are some changes along the way and, and things got corrected over time. Uh, but I think it's important to know those some of those differences and it's just fascinating too. So. Any final comments on any of this? Yeah. One reason I think the Lord maybe told him about verse 36 there is if his home was really toxic, he can't feel the spirit. And yeah. the Lord needs him to be able to feel the spirit. So um, I think he kind of said it's okay if you don't stay at home all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and not not only that, Martin Harris was going to start having to apply himself to the work, right? That's because true. there's a this is this thing is cranking up, and we got things that we need to be doing. Yeah. Isn't he divorced at this time? Not yet. Oh, he's, not. he's not divorced yet. He will be divorced, I think, when they go down to Kirtland, or is so he's about a year away. Okay, but she's pretty contentious. Uh, she she's not a happy lady. She'd be hard to live with. Okay. Yeah. Yes, he did. Okay. 
Yeah, he'll remarry, I think, in Kirtland. I read someplace that he didn't remarry until his first wife died. Is that right? Yeah, we, after one of your classes, we went. You, we went. So, so you're saying that he didn't remarry until after Lucy Harris dies? That's what we read on the internet, so it must be. If it's on the internet, it's got to be true. <laughs> got it. All right. Well, let me let me um, let me finish today with a sweet little experience from the, this past week. Give you an idea of how the how the Lord kind of gives you blessings along the way. Okay. After a very busy day, um, we ended up uh, in the garden tomb just last week. Uh, as it turned out, as we were walking in, uh, it's kind of busy, there's a lot of coming and going. Uh, as we walked in, there was an international children's choir singing. And at first I thought it was just a little distracting to have kind of this bustling of kids over in the, the side and it just add a little more cacophony going on in the garden tomb area. Um, it was only after that we found out it was an international, it, it was from international school, international choir, and that members of, we think, uh, that ki- some kids of the staff from BYU Jerusalem Center attend that school. Which explains that one of the first things we heard as we walked in was them singing Gethsemane. And then as we were preparing to kind of, after we had talked a little bit and we were going down to the garden tomb, the next thing we hear is, Heavenly Father, are you really there? (laughs) The child's prayer. So we're hearing these primary songs kind of wafting through um, the garden tomb area. Uh, and, after, and after we had a chance to go through the, the tomb, then, then we took the, the group over. We had a nice little secluded spot where we had a little testimony meeting. Don't know if I've ever been to a sweeter testimony meeting in my entire life. Led by the, the setting for children. That, that, that children's choir had just set a tone. Um, that that gave us just such a wonderful experience. I think the Lord knows what we need. <coughs> I think He knows our struggles, and I think He will provide things for us. Um, those kids will never know what they did for us. We were we were hot and tired and busy and a little distracted by everything we were trying to see, and we were blown away by their sweetness. Um, and and so as I watch, kind of the little. Uh, as the restoration is unfolding and you see the little, these little elements that start to happen so that the, we receive the gospel that we, in the form that we have it now. The Lord knew what he was doing and he was looking ahead and he was providing for people like Martin Harris. And I love Martin Harris. He was so flawed and he, had, and he struggled so much. And the Lord worked with him and worked with him and worked with him and brought him finally to Utah. Um, and and he'll, in the way that he'll kind of work with us and he will provide those little things in our life that enable us to uh, accomplish what he would have us accomplish not what we think we'll accomplish what he would have us do so okay any final comments on this yeah, yeah regarding the tomb and, and that's yeah. what you're saying with the, the primary they, isn't it amazing by the mouth of the babe they do, they do bear witness of things uh, President Kimball, I read, said that was, he felt like spirit, that was the tomb where the Savior was laid. Hard to know. Yeah, I, I know that he said uh, uh, very well, could be, uh, Hubie Brown kind of said the same thing. Uh, hard to know. That, that's why in some of these places, uh, I think our sense was, don't know, but it's close. It's very, very, very close. Uh, and, and, and so the, the places like that, uh, as opposed to Caesarea Philippi, you know you're in the right area, and then almost the per- the exact location doesn't matter as much as it happened. I-, I I felt the same thing in Gethsemane was just like I don't know exactly where it is, but wow, it was close. So, all right, well, um, bearing my testimony, this is true. Thank you for being here, uh, and we will uh, we'll pick up the printing of the Book of Mormon next week, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name, Amen. Mm-hmm.